welcome to this week's episode of The Horse Race, your weekly look at the top elections and campaigns in Massachusetts. I'm Lauren Dzenski, author of Politico's Massachusetts Playbook. And I'm Steve Cazella, president of the Massing Polling Group. So we are preparing for the Nor'easter, which means that we've actually recorded this podcast a day early. So if anything's drastically changed by Thursday, we're just giving you that warning? Yeah, sorry, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, the horse race bunker is not necessarily fully climate resilient. We're, we got to do what we got to do. Right. Plus, like, how are we both supposed to go, get into downtown yeah, if it's, it's snowing like crazy? Yeah, speaking of weather resiliency. Um, anyway, we'll leave that aside for now because um, that's a whole other podcast we could do. <laughs> Transit Matters. Listen to Transit Matters if you want more on that. Uh, but as we said last week, there's just a ton going on, lots of comings and goings and races all around the state. So what we're going to do in this episode is break it down regionally and focus on two specific areas. Um, we're going to take a look at some races here in Boston and around Suffolk County. Then we're going to head out to what we're going to insist on calling West Mass. Um, and we're going to talk a bit to Rich Parr and hear from him about what some of the races are out there to watch. Um, and after our tour around the state, we're going to look at some district attorney's races, which just in the last week or so, there's, just a t- there's suddenly a ton of action in terms of district attorney's races. It's crazy. Election season is very much upon us. It is, and it's taking shape in, a, in some familiar ways, you know, primaries for both the ticket t- ticket topping races, but also a lot of primaries further down the ballot and some races that are just, you know, coming sort of coming together in really unusual and interesting ways. So we'll, we'll be getting into all of that. Very much so. But before we get to all of that, let's start off with a scene setter. For those not familiar with the tumult in Suffolk County, It's become quite the game of musical chairs, or maybe dominoes. It's one of those moments when everyone suddenly seems to be running for everything. So here to help us understand which chairs are open and who is circling hungrily around them waiting for the music to stop, we have two veteran Boston reporters, Gin Doomshus of Mass Live and Jen Smith of the Dorchester Reporter. So both of you have been to the horse race stables before, so welcome back to both of you, and thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, champing at the bit. (laughs) <laughs> yes. I also realize I'm the only non-dot news person on the show this week. So yes, that's, you're um, outnumbered. The the dot news empire has taken over the Boston media we landscape. We sprawl exactly, and, and our influence does to, not end at Dorchester. Exactly, people just need to accept it. So, going back to the game of musical chairs, this whole started when now former state senator Linda Dorsina Fori announced she was not seeking re-election. Two contenders pulled papers to run: Evandro Carvalho and Nick Collins, both state reps. First off, Jen. Give us a sense of why these two were originally the only ones running for that seat and and why others may have passed on it. Mm. So initially, there was a bit of wrangling that was going on among the state reps in the Dorchester area. So there was taking taking a bit of the temperature of, for instance, uh, State Rep Dan Cullinane down closer to Mattapan, um, State Rep Dan Hunt, who very quickly said that he didn't really want to, but he's up in the uh, more northern and coastal areas of Dorchester. Um, and then also Rep Russell Holmes were the other state rep names floating around alongside Carvalho and and um, and uh, Collins, and Collins was an obvious uh, an obvious pick. He'd run for the seat before in 2013, lost out to ultimately State Senator Linda Dorsinos Fori in the special election, and. The reason that Carvalho was really kind of pushed in a lot of ways to make sure that he was entertaining the possibility was that there was that amount of concern over losing a person of color in that seat. So when folks were looking at Rep Holmes or Evandro Carvalho, one of them would have had to run um, or at least put their name in there for contention um, just to kind of make a good 
showing of it. So there was that pretty much right off the bat. And then uh, Cullinane announced he didn't want to run for it. Hunt announced he wasn't going to run for it. Holmes said he was kind of sticking with his day job on top of his normal rep seat. And the legacy uh, contenders, so some women of color that have held office before in the past said, we aren't going out for this. How did they all come to these decisions? So in a lot of ways, the the way that they were coming to these decisions was uh, in part that they didn't want to split voting blocks. Uh, when you think about the 2013 election, uh, the mayoral election. Or oh, the, or the uh, no, state the, the election. state senate election. Okay. Yes, uh, the 2013 election um, with uh, future Senator Forey. She had to rack up the numbers in Dorchester and Mattapan because Collins was just going to take South Boston pretty much. She was out there campaigning, but uh, even just having blogger Maureen Dayhill on that ballot as well ended up sapping a few thousand votes out of that out of that race on the South Boston side. So, if you're looking at kind of the younger generation of especially the white male candidates, uh, that could have been another concern too, where they didn't want to start sapping voting blocks away from each other. So essentially, it sounds like the race was all set between Carvalho and Collins. The, this field of potential contenders just essentially never really emerged and, or essentially just dropped out. It's kind of the race that never happened. Again, we have this other sudden retirement that also then changed the landscape of this Senate race. Dan Connolly retired, or said he was going to retire, step down, um, and not run for, for re-election, uh, serving out the rest of his term. Suffolk County District Attorney Dan Connolly. So, uh, right, and and uh, former mayoral content- contender, um, and and he uh, that scrambled um, the playing field quite a bit. Um, and I think Carvalho, who's a, who's a former assistant prosecutor, said, you know what, that might be a better job for me. Um, it also takes him out of what would probably be a pretty vicious uh, state senate uh, election, uh, some, uh, something obviously he talked over with his family and decided that was the better uh, better role for him to go for. Totally. So, so Jen, talk about the implications of Carvalho jumping out of the Senate field, and now it's just one individual, it's just Nick Collins who's running for that. Yeah, now the uh, field is uh, not so much a field as much as a single-person dash. Uh, Do we ever figure out what that's called in horse racing, when a horse just goes out and runs around the track? I think that's just called riding a horse. <laughs> <laughs> just a we, solo jaunt. We had, um, a, we had a discussion about that with Brendan Crichton, who actually today is his election day also. Yes. He's in his or final. Tuesday so is. We're going to have two state Senate yeah. seats basically filled by the only person running for the seat. Y- yeah, so that's, that's a great way to put it, basically, is... So uh, the primary still needs to happen on April 3rd, but it's going to be Collins versus a blank slot Mm -hmm. next to him, uh, um, a write-in, and then the Republican and Libertarian seats are just going to be write-ins. And then the final special election is May 1st, where he won't be alone on the ballot. He will have two independents on there with him, Althea Garrison, who's uh, pretty well-known at this point for running for a lot of different seats over the years, um, holding one at one point in the 90s, uh, state rep seat. And um, then also a Donald Osgood Sr. uh, is running for that as well. Uh, who's we can coming. pretty much be assured that I mean this is oh Nick yeah Collins. oh yeah this yeah. is this is it would be astonishing for it to be yeah. for it to be an upset but technically speaking it's his name will post. not be the only one you see on yeah. the ballot okay. just the only one with the money behind it so Carvalho then heads over to the DA race he's not the only candidate in that race and that looks like one that could have some pretty substantial potential policy implications again tell us how that race is shaping up. Well, I think for a lot of folks, it's uh, a lot of folks are still mulling it over, um, and it's it's kind of one of those jobs where it's under the radar, 
but it has big policy implications from when you're talking about criminal justice reform. Uh, we have legal marijuana uh, here in Massachusetts, retail pot shops, and I think for a lot of criminal justice reform advocates, they want to clean the slate of those uh, convictions of people, uh, not so much trafficking, but when you're talking about the minor possession, the, the below trafficking, they, wanna, they want people to be helped with sealing records, potential e expungement, and the DA plays a role in that. So, so who's exactly running here? What, what's the field look like? Well, uh, I think Commonwealth Magazine uh, had one of the, the folks, Shannon, I'm, I'm blanking Shannon on Mc it. Shannon McAuliffe, who's an experienced uh, attorney and legal defense uh, professional, I suppose. Uh, she worked with ROCA, which is a Chelsea-based um, group that works to uh, divert divert um, potential potential troubled youths um, mm -hmm. away from and out of the, the criminal justice system. And Greg Henning is the other one. He works in the DA's office and he's apparently the son of a, of a fairly famous broadcaster John around Henning. here. So which I did not I did not realize until I think uh, Steve Brown tweeted it. Um, <laughs> so uh, Boston still still very much a small town. Um, so I, I, th I think we could see other candidates emerge, uh, but it's, it's one of those, uh, as I said, like it's, it's, it's a fascinating, uh, seat. The ACLU is going to be a factor too, because they've been promoting people being more aware of this seat. Um, and I think Boston has changed significantly, uh, enough since Dan Connolly was elected where we're, we're, we could, we could see a fairly liberal person in that seat. What struck me about all three of those candidates, and I spoke with Greg Henning the other day for an extended period of time as well, is all three of them, even the uh, even the longtime ADA in, in Greg Henning, are running on pretty progressive platforms. All three of them say, look, we respect the way the office has been run, but frankly, changes need to be made, and the real difference seems to be kind of a matter of priority and the argument of whether you need to be a former prosecutor to fill that post. Which is a really fascinating question, because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, uh, you know, for, for a long time, that's what a DA was. Like, you, you sort of ran on your tough-on-crime platform and how tough you were going to be on crime, and it was tough, tough, tough. <laughs> you know, that was pretty much the word that, that was used. And, um, you know, we'll t we're actually going to talk about this a bit later also, but uh, here in Suffolk, also in Middlesex, also in Worcester County, there's three DA races now where you've got um, you've got progressive candidates, you've got former defenders in every case challenging for the DA seat. Just a fascinating time. Time. Um, how do you see that shaping up, though? How do you how do you see the voters in the in Suffolk County sort of looking at that contrast? Well, I mean, I, I think that remains to be seen. Um, I, I think with, with Dan Connolly, uh, it's funny, actually, during the, the 2013 mayor's race, uh, I tagged along uh, with him as he went door knocking, uh, particular, and, and his people went door knocking in Dorchester. And, and people were very much, uh, they were like, it's nice that you're running for mayor, but we really like you as DA, mm -hmm. and, uh, which I guess was a nice way to let him down. <laughs> but um, uh, it was also Marty Walsh country down there, too, so, uh, in, in Connolly's defense. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to, to go back to my earlier point, I, I, I think uh, the Boston area has gotten um, more liberal, and as I think massing polling has shown about where folks are on criminal justice reform, I, I'm not surprised, I wouldn't be surprised if you see those candidates align with those positions, um, particularly when it comes to uh, the more liberal end of the spectrum. Dan Connolly will say that he did some progressive stuff, but um, he also clashed a lot with judges. I think he, in a very public way, he would face off against judges. And I, I wonder if you're going to see that uh, with whoever the next DA is. For sure. So quickly going back to the musical chairs component of all of this, with Evandro Carvalho now seeking the DA seat, 
his state rep seat is now open. The fifth Suffolk. Exactly. Jennifer, what are you specifically watching here? Who who exactly has pulled papers? Um so there are already four people who have pulled papers. Uh, two are relative, uh, relatively unlikely to be successful um, just based on their public profile. But the one I'm keeping an eye on right now is Seferina Morell, who's the former aide to State Senator Linda Zorcina Fori. The dominoes come back around. It's a full circle. And the last, and the thing we're looking at for her is if she's going to try and follow the Fori route into office, be an aide, be a rep, then see where it goes from there. Excellent. And alongside of all this, we'll also, of course, be watching the congressional race between um, Mike Capuano and Ayanna Presley. It's just a ton going on in Suffolk County. So thank you, Jen Smith of the Dorchester Reporter, Gin Dumchus and Mass Live, for being here to help us break it all down. Sure of thing. course. Let's head out west now and check in what's going on in what we at the horse race affectionately call West Mass. Ladies and gentlemen. Heads up, that music is from the now-defunct marketing campaign that tried to rebrand Western Massachusetts into something more hip, cool, something like that. I don't know. Either way, the song is a relic of a time gone by. But now, (laughs) now, we look at Western Massachusetts as a place with some open state rep seats, uh, with another rep who's left the Democratic Party, ongoing fallout from the Stan Rosenberg investigation, and even a congressional primary. Here to help us dig through all of this is another close friend of the horse race global media empire, Rich Parr. Rich is the research director for the Massing Polling Group and oversees Massing Polling Group's Northampton office. He joins us here today by calling in. Rich, welcome to the horse race. Hey guys, how are you? Nice to be on. Thank you for coming on. So first to start, let's orient our audience toward where you are. Give us a sense of the politics out in the area that we're talking about. Yeah, so we're talking about... um, the what's called the Pioneer Valley before uh, the West Mass campaign uh, came along. Um, and the politics uh, are sort of interesting. This is when a very blue part of the state where I am, Hampshire County, uh, you have uh, Smith College in Northampton, and then across the river, you have Hadley with Hampshire College, um, Mount Holyoke College in South Hadley, and then you've got Amherst College, and you asked Amherst in Amherst itself. Um, so that, that nucleus there is a really, really uh, progressive part of the state. A little bit further south, where we might be talking about later, um, Hamden County, it's a little bit more mixed. Um, you know, out there you saw Martha Coakley and Stephen Grossman winning uh, towns during 2014. And in the 2016 presidential general election, Donald Trump actually won some parts of, of Hamden County. So the politics are a little less progressive and a little bit more mixed down in that part of the, of the valley. A little bit of the, uh, the bleed over effect, I think, from, from Worcester County, kind of, which is quite red, coming, coming in at the bottom there. Whereas up north, it's, it's almost like an extension of Vermont, um, you, you see there. And so I think that's going to play out in all of these um, open races that we have here. And speaking of, so walk us through those open races, because we've got three state rep seats that are just open, um, and then one where we've had a a change in party. Um, Tell us what's going on first in the three that are open. Yes. So um, we have uh, two retirements from from the House, and unfortunately one uh, death. I'll start with with that one. Um, That's the first Hampshire district. That's where I live. So Representative Peter Cocott, longtime representative, um, passed away. Uh, very recently and somewhat unexpectedly, he had been battling lung cancer, but I think even his colleagues were surprised that um, 
that 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 it sort of happened rather suddenly. Um, he uh, was just buried last week. Um, uh, Speaker DeLeo and uh, Governor Baker were both in attendance at the funeral in Northampton, um, and uh, and now folks are kind of gearing up. I should say, and um, and shout out to uh, Matt Safransky from. Western uh, Mass uh, Politics and Insight for this because he's been following this very closely. But we don't actually know whether there's going to be a special election for this seat yet or if they're just going to hold it off until November and run it as a regular election. But we already have declared candidates now. Um, uh, COCOT's district director, Diana Sisnall, is, uh, is eyeing the seat and now has said that she's going to be running. And, uh, and also the, um, the uh, city council president from Northampton, um, a fellow named Ryan O'Donnell, has announced that he's going to be running. So we have two candidates now. Um, I think, the, again, the, the interesting dynamic here is the bulk of the votes are in Northampton. So will that give a Northampton candidate uh, an advantage, or will there be multiple candidates from Northampton sort of splitting that vote up a little bit? So we'll have to see about that. Rich, I want to I want to pull out a little bit here. It's I think one of the really significant things to keep in mind, especially for folks who maybe aren't as well versed in the the intricacies of Western mass politics, is that the the changeover in these three state reps, the or the you know the loss of this representation. What does that really mean for the district? I mean, the fact that you know these these state reps who are around for so long. What does the changeover indicate? Yeah, exactly. I, this is a, this is something that's being talked about out here. The uh, the local newspaper, the Daily Hampshire Gazette, their headline last week, in regards to these retirements and this in this death, uh, was a power shortage. And when you combine that with um, with what's happened with uh, Senator Rosenberg, whose district, who Senator Rosenberg represents a good no, a good chunk of some of these of these districts, which are all contiguous. You know, all these towns that are that are that are losing representatives. Are uh, kind of you know connected to one another. It really is sort of a regional thing, and I should say that the two representatives that are retiring are Stephen Kulik from the first uh, Franklin, and there are five candidates who are who are gearing up to uh, to run for his seat, and uh, John Seibeck in the second Hampshire, and second Hampshire is sort of East Hampton and South Hadley, uh, a little bit south of Northampton. If if Northampton is the Cambridge of uh, the Pioneer Valley, I would say East Hampton is kind of on the rise as sort of maybe the Somerville, it's becoming a very sort of hip place. Um, uh, uh, and, and, and in that respect, East Hampton and South Hadley are, are kind of interesting pair to be in a district together. We have one candidate declared from East Hampton, uh, a city councilor named Dan Carey. We'll see if we, if we get one from South Hadley or if we get even some more candidates from East Hampton as well. That's really interesting. I, I want to also look at this switch uh, from from a Democratic candidate to an unenrolled candidate. This was this is Solomon Goldstein Rose, who I believe is out in Northampton. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Solomon is um is actually in Amherst, and uh, he is uh, the third Hampshire district is his seat. Uh, he switched from uh, from being a registered Democrat to registered unenrolled. Um, uh, just recently, we wrote about this for the for the top line, I believe, our our newsletter. Yeah, I mean, it was basically, the the feeling was that it's not really a, that he's running to the center, that he's shifting to the center. I mean, you think more independent, meaning in the Bernie Sanders mode of independent. You know, his his district is extremely Democratic voting. It's not as though this is going to be something where you're going to have someone who's you know really crossing the aisle that much. I wouldn't expect. Yes, I think that's exactly right, Stephen. And I think he's, it's a little bit of a Bernie Sanders type move, because again, you know, Bernie Sanders beat Hillary Clinton two to one in Amherst, and Amherst is really sort of the power seat in that district. Um, I will say, however, it opens him up to challenges. And in fact, he already has a challenger. 
Um, he won this seat in 2016 as a 22-year-old. He's now 24. And, uh, and he beat five other Democrats in the primary. And then um, it being a very liberal seat, there was no Republican challenger. Now his runner-up, the runner-up in that race, uh, um, named, uh, a fellow named Eric Nakajima, who is a former Deval Patrick uh, official. He worked in economic development and housing in the, in the Patrick, Cam- uh, Patrick administration and then later became the head of the Massachusetts Broadband Institute. And broadband is a very big issue out here in the Hilltowns, uh, some of the rural areas that do not have broadband access in, 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 the, um, in, in the ground there. Uh, he has announced that he's going to be running against uh, Solomon Goldstein Rose. And it's interesting to see this kind of power vacuum dynamic now playing out. He's actually using that in some of his initial remarks about this, basically saying, you know, at a time where the region is losing its clout, we can't afford to be, you know, walking away from the Democratic Party. We need to, to actually, you know, use that to our advantage to continue to have some sort of power and some representation out here um, as a region. It's interesting, the idea of the region losing clout, that narrative could even extend to the congressional race. Uh, Representative Richard Neal, who is the highest ranking member of the Massachusetts congressional delegation, has a challenger um, in, uh, in his race as well. So so that's very much, I think, a narrative um, that, that we're going to see going forward. Yeah, what's the expectation on that, Rich? Any chance that that one flips or are people pretty much thinking that Neal is safe in that primary? Uh, I think right now, from the folks that I've talked to, there is not a great deal of expectation that that, um, Congressman Neal is in danger. Um, It's a little bit of a different dynamic, I think, than what you might be seeing in the 7th. So this is the first congressional district. And um, I should note that the way it's carved out, it's kind of Springfield in that that area down there in Hamden County, which, as I said, is a little bit more mixed politically, and and, uh, Berkshire County. Um, but a lot of these places up where, where we've been talking about, Northampton, Amherst, and the like, are actually part of Jim McGovern's district now. Um, Jim McGovern, a longtime um, congressman from Worcester, but he now has parts of Western Mass as when we lost a representative um, in, after the last census. So some liberal areas where uh, uh, Congressman Neal's uh, challenger uh, might do well uh, uh, are not included in this district. Uh, the, other, the other thing to consider is that um, uh, Congressman Neal has a very powerful seat uh, as the ranking member on the Ways and Means Committee uh, in Congress. And if the uh, Democrats do flip the House, that would put him, um, make him even more powerful as, as the chair of that committee. So there may be a, a sense, I think, of, of, of folks wanting uh, to keep that clout down in Washington um, for the region and for the for the state as a whole, sort of trying to maintain power. It sounds like it's going to be a, a, a dynamic up and down the ballot. Um, Rich Parr, our West West Mass correspondent, Western Massachusetts correspondent. Thank you. You're welcome, guys. So for our third segment, we had initially planned to talk about the DA races that are popping up around the state, but honestly, Gin, uh, our conversation with Gin and Jennifer. Was was pretty comprehensive. So, Steve, you have a couple le- like last things to note, but we we can save a lot more of the discussion for for a later uh, date to pick up on. But but what's worth keeping in mind in all of this? So we got into the the three counties where we have defenders running for DA seats, which is pretty unusual. But the thing that I wanted to, to draw attention to um, that we didn't really talk too much about was the fact that there is a lot of polling on this. And we've done a lot of polling on this in the last few years um, that shows people have moved to a much more progressive position than they've been on and been at in criminal justice reform in a while. So when you ask, you know, what what the system should be focusing on, you tend to hear more things like prevention, rehabilitation, less things like enforcement and punishment, you know, more interest in 
helping people reintegrate from prison rather than just, you know, punishing people by sending them to prison for longer. Um, people, That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people view that, people think prison actually is harmful and causes you to become more likely to commit a crime rather than thinking that you've learned your lesson somehow. You know, so you can sort of put all these things together and think, okay, this is why you're starting to see some of these defenders running to try to change the system and, you know, people running from to the, to the left in district attorney races. Um, you know, you see it also reflected in the criminal justice reform bill that's passed both the House and the Senate and is, you know, will be in conference at some point this year. Um, all of that, I think, should, helps to illustrate why this is the moment when you've got suddenly these DA primaries that look a bit different than what we've seen in past years. Yeah, that's, that's some really important context there. All right. Now, let's take a look at the things that we are watching. Steve? Yeah, so one popped up kind of unexpectedly, um, or at least it was unexpected for it to pop up now, which is of all Patrick indicating that he is actually at least considering running for president. He told a public radio station in Kansas City that, quote, it's on my radar screen, talking about 2020. So um, that's something to watch. You know, Math I, I think what I should take, what we should take from this is that the nation loves Massachusetts politicians running for president. They it's do it always <laughs> about Massachusetts, isn't it? Yeah. I was trying to think when the last time there wasn't a Massachusetts politician running for president in an election and, uh, you know, either Senate, former senator or governor. And it's been decades. You know, it's been at least since... Well, someone's going to correct me on this, so I'm not going to spit out a date. But it's been a while since there's not been any Massachusetts politician, at least at the beginning. Yeah, and as a Massachusetts political reporter, I very much appreciate this. <laughs> um, so my thing to watch is the absolute spat between Bill Galvin um, and Lawrence Mayor Dan Rivera. Bill, Bill Galvin, Galvin, Secretary of Secretary State. Secretary of State. Um, Seeking re-election as he had as he has many times, um, but he's getting a challenge for the first time in a very long time by Boston City Councilor Josh Zakem. We've talked about this before, but this week we saw the first real reported instance of some very bad feelings, specifically by Bill Galvin. Uh, this was first reported by Matt Murphy of State House News, who wrote that. Hours after Lawrence Mayor Dan Rivera endorsed Josh Zakem back in February. Galvin called Mayor Dan Rivera to voice his displeasure with the system. Which I think is putting it very mildly based on the rest of the description. Exactly. <laughs> voice his displeasure. It's, it's also worth keeping in mind that Bill Galvin did not ask Dan Rivera for his endorsement. It was just assumed that it was going to happen, at least by extrapolation. So the conversation, according to Rivera, this is as recounted by Matt Murphy, devolved into a heated exchange during which both men cursed at one another, and Galvin accused Rivera of disloyalty, suggesting that the mayor owed him his political career. Quote, verbatim, he said, quote, I made you mayor, unquote. You don't forget words like that, Rivera said. Do you All have I any idea what he's talking about? So, yeah. so I talked to Dan Rivera about this after the reports came out, and he essentially said that he is under the assumption that it's Bill Galvin is citing the free and fair uh, execution of the election, of the mayoral election itself. So basically, the Secretary of State's office in this election that he's talking about sent um, people to to go and watch the poll, poll observers, to essentially ensure that the election was happened fairly, um, which Dan Rivera says, well, that's your job. You didn't do that as a favor to any of us, um, and, and, is, and is kind of confused about where that comes from. Bill Galvin hasn't responded to this, at least as far as I'm aware yet. So 
something to watch, but when it's it's one of those unexpected races, and I'm pretty sure I said that this was my something to watch race weeks past, so I'm I'm glad that I'm affirmed in that. Yeah, no, it it has been. I mean, and it's not the first time Bill Galvin has has said some pretty um, sharp things about or in relation to this race. He said them about Josh Jacob at you know when the race was first starting out about how little the Boston City Council did, and he called Josh Jacob sneaky, and there right, were some sort yes. of questions about what exactly he meant by that. Um, so just promise to be a race that is has no shortage of, of um, color involved in it. We'll just say that. Yeah. Um, but now for last week's trivia question, which is, you know, the most important part of the horse race. So That's why quest- you all listen. It is. We know you're, you just fast forward. We've seen the statistics. So <laughs> <laughs> we're going to put it at the beginning just to trip you up. Um, but anyway... So the question was, in 1994, former Governor Bill Weld won re-election as governor in a landslide with 71% of the vote. How many of the state's 351 cities and towns did Weld win? And the answer, 345. We had so many right answers sent to us this week. We're giving everyone, all of you listeners, a free week of listening to the horse race. A (gasps) truly amazing value. You are welcome, everyone. (laughs) All right, so this week's trivia question sticks with our Bill Weld theme, because why not? Is, and it's also courtesy of our official trivia correspondent, Doric Docent, and occasional horse race host, Maureen McNerney. What animal appears in the official portrait of Bill Weld that hangs in the Massachusetts State House? This is my favorite portrait, too. All right, this week. Do you know and, the answer? Oh, of course. Okay. <laughs> Come on. All right, this week and this week only, send your answers to the Horse Race Global headquarters on a postcard of the official portrait. You have to do it. And you'll win a thousand extra horse race trivia points. Valuable we'll also stuff. accept t- tweets, to be totally honest. Yeah, but you don't get any extra points for that. That's true. No tweet points. Nope. All right. <laughs> anyway, that's all for us this week. I'm Lauren Dzinski of Politico. And I'm Steve Gazella of the Massing Polling Group. Our producer this week and every week is Hannah Shinatri. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>